Well, this morning we are looking at uh, a final verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we're going to be looking at O Come, Thou Desire of Nations. Uh, and we just sang, this is the last verse, if you look uh, in the song we just sang, O come, desire of nations, bind, and one the hearts of all mankind, and bid thou our sad division cease, and be thyself our king of peace. As I was thinking about this this week, as I was preparing, I was reminded of, uh, so I had a job when I was a, a senior in high school, no, I was a junior in high school, junior in high school, and I worked for a radio station. Uh, and uh, with another high schooler, we did a two-hour request radio show at this little local station, uh, and people would call in, and we would play their songs and send their messages and all this sort of thing. So I got to know some of the other DJs, some of the full-time DJs there. And there was one in particular who was talking to me as I was, like, making plans for college, uh, and he was in his 30s. He's like, man, I miss college. And those were the best days of my life. I thought about that. I was like, okay, so that's a lot of pressure for college. Like, do I want to be in my 30s and look up and be like, oh, those were the best days of my life. And I looked at him, and he's a great guy, nice guy, but he just kind of looked at his life, and, and there's like a sadness about him where I think in a really, in a deep way, he felt like his best years were behind him. And so he would pine for those days, and it made his present feel really sad. And it made him kind of feel pretty depressed about his future. And I mean, I'm 16, 17 years old. I did not know how to meet him in that moment at all. All I knew was, I hope that that's not true. I hope it's not true. Maybe, and I don't know where he is now. Uh, That was 25 years ago. So that's been a little bit of time. Uh, I hope that he has a different perspective on his life. I hope that he has lived days and is looking forward to days that are better than whatever his college experience was. But for him, at least in that moment, there was a, a depression. There was a discouragement. And he felt like his best days were behind him. I'm about to read a text for us where God is speaking to his people in the midst of those exact feelings. Feeling like, man, our our best days are behind us. And if you've ever felt that way, or if you ever do feel that way, that's a crushing feeling. Because it takes all of the meaning out of today, and all of the hope out of tomorrow. And it squeezes you dry. And so God speaks a word of hope to his people, and he's going to speak that word of hope to us this morning as well. Let me pray, and then I'm going to read from Haggai. Father, thank you so much for a chance to talk about hope, about the hope that Jesus brings. We pray now that you will speak to our hearts, even as we hear the words that you gave to Haggai to speak to your people as they came out of exile. We know that the principle, that the message there applied to them is a message that's for us as well. We pray that we will hear it and be encouraged. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Haggai, which we don't look at very often, uh, but it is the text that undergirds this verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So it's on Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. There are only two chapters of Haggai, which is why it's only one sheet of paper in your Bible. Uh, so if you're looking in your Bible, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the Minor Prophets, so it's like to the right of 
Psalms, Proverbs, and then like the Isaiah, Jeremiah's, but it's to the left of Matthew, all right? If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 791. Let me read these nine verses for us. We're told this, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house, and he's referring to the temple, in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So Haggai has this word for, his, for God's people, and this is, uh, this is the text from Haggai where uh, the author uh, of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which was that chant of longing, came and sort of pulled out this language for us. O come, desire of nations, bind, and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease, and be thyself our king of peace. Now, as we think about these verses from Haggai, just a couple quick comments. I mean, this, this verse from the song is a song about desiring peace and unity in the life of all humankind. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to long for. Absolutely. This verse is also calling us to long for the kingship of Jesus in our lives, communally and individually. To long for Jesus to be an active king in our life, for us to follow him. That's a great longing as well. And that was that promised blessing that Charlotte was just reading for us, a rescuing king for us to follow, a rescuing king to lead us. But another thought about this verse, this verse, not from the Bible, but from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it references Jesus as the desire of nations. And this is a little bit awkward, um, but that's actually just a lot of poetic license that's being taken with the King James Version translation of Haggai. Like, desire of nations isn't really a title for Jesus, and so let me read it for you in the, the KJV. In, in that version it says, And I will shake all nations, this is verse 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So that's the language that gets leveraged in our, uh, our Christmas carol, but it's the desire of nations. But if you read it in the NIV, it says, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. And then in our translation, the ESV that we have here in our, uh, our pews, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the thing. It's a beautiful promise. And it does find its fulfillment in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't have a title called the desire of nations. 
It's actually the desired treasures of the nations are going to get funneled in to God's people as God shakes up the world so that the temple once again is made beautiful. And that temple that's made beautiful pictures the true beautiful temple of God's dwelling with his people, which is Jesus. So ultimately, yes, it is about Jesus, but not as a title. And this makes sense when we understand like the historical moment that Haggai's writing in. God's people are back in the land post-exile. So they've been in Babylon, and now they're able to come back to the land and rebuild Jerusalem. And so they come back, they begin to rebuild Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the walls, they start to lay the foundation for the temple, and they start hitting opposition. And they take about a 10-year break. They lose motivation, they walk away from the building project, there's a foundation laid, but there's no temple, and it's been about 10 years of no work. And then God sends Haggai to bring this word to his people. He brings a word from the Lord that calls them back to the work of rebuilding the temple. Why would it be significant to rebuild the temple? It's because symbolically the temple is a picture of God's presence with his people. God to be present with them in this moment in which they live. And so in this word that God sends to his people, he's speaking a word of hope, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, even though he's not creating a title for Jesus called the desire of nations. He's saying, I'm going to shake up the nations And the world is going to know and see how beautiful it is when I dwell with my people. And that's going to be pictured in, yes, on some level, and and a temple being rebuilt, but it's ultimately going to find its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Now, I want to share a devotional thought with us this morning um, about this promise, because this is a promise that God makes to his people there as they come out of exile. It's a promise that hey, there's a better tomorrow. A better tomorrow still stands for you. It's a word of hope for us too that no matter how bleak things look, no matter how bleak things feel, the promise for God's people, whether they're rebuilding the temple or walking through the hardships of life, is that there is actually a better tomorrow that's there for us. So we're going to walk through this text and just see this together. So the first thing as we look through the first handful of verses is Sometimes things look bleak, and it's okay to acknowledge that. If we look at verses 1 through 3 again, so we're, we pick up, and Haggai is it's, it's a, you know, 10 years after the, uh, the break they've taken because of opposition. A word of, of the Lord comes by, by Haggai. In verse 2, he says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. So this is the, uh, the governor, the leader of God's people at that time, as well as Joshua, who's the high priest at that time. And he says, say this to the remnant of the people as well, everyone who's gathered there. He says, say this to them, who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So here we have God starting out with, like, hey, how many of y'all remember Solomon's temple? It was really amazing. What do you think of what we're about to build? Pretty unimpressive. And what do you think about where we are right now? Depressive. That's what God says. He says, hey, I know this is sad and discouraging. Even if you just look at the foundation of this next temple that we haven't even built, it's already at its foundation not going to be as grand as Solomon's temple. And it's hard to imagine anything close to the splendor of that past temple. He says, I know that. And in that, he's also saying, I know that you're coming out of judgment. You're coming out of discipline. You're coming out of exile. 
and now you're having to rebuild, and all of this is hard. So we have God just acknowledging, hey, things look bleak. It makes sense that you're discouraged. That's what we have God saying right here at the beginning as he sends this word to his people, which means it's okay for us to name the hard stuff as hard stuff. God doesn't look at the hard stuff of life and say, oh, you're just not looking at it from the right angle. Just put on a happy face. He doesn't say that. He says, like, hey, this looks pretty discouraging. This looks pretty bleak. And it's okay to be honest with how things look and how things feel. We can be honest about that. Now, we don't stop there. But if we're not willing to be honest about how we feel and what we see, then we're actually trying to convince ourselves of something that we need God to step into. We can't reframe it ourselves. It's part of the process of actually experiencing hope is to be honest about how you feel and what you see. So God says, I see this. It's sad. It's discouraging. It's bleak. We're going to name it for what it is, but I'm going to speak into it. And so sometimes things look bleak. It's okay to acknowledge that. But even in those bleak moments, God says this. He says, I'm with you. Which means this is only a part of the unfolding story. There is more. So in dark and discouraging moments, like the one that Israel finds itself in here, God reminds them of his faithfulness. This is verses 4 and 5. He says this. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So in this dark and discouraging moment that Israel's facing, God reminds them, hey, I'm your covenant God. I've, I've never given up on you. I've never abandoned you. And I'm present with you even in this moment. So I want you to put yourself in their position. Like here you are, you've come out of exile, you're finally able to come back to your land, you start rebuilding the wall, you've got some momentum, things get hard. It's been a decade just kind of floundering in a poorly built, poorly defended city without a temple in it, which was the main reason you came back in the first place. And God says, not only does he say, hey, I'm with you, you'll notice he doesn't say, but I'm really angry with you that you took a 10-year break from building my house. He doesn't say that. He says, work, I'm still in your midst. Fear not, I'm still with you. My spirit is still within your midst. And now think about for us, like when things feel bleak, when things feel discouraging in our lives, think about the Advent. Think about the song we've been singing for the last five weeks. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Like what we celebrated Advent is that God says, to all of his people, all the time, there is no bleak or discouraging moment in which I'm not present with you, that I won't walk through it with you. I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. And we know on this side of Pentecost, not only is God's Spirit within our midst, but it's with us all the time. Like we have his presence with us all the time. And so I want you to hear God's word from Haggai to you. I don't know what's discouraging. I don't know what's bleak. I don't know if you're coming out of a season like that or if you're walking into a season like that. I don't know if you've got a close friend that's in the midst of a season like that. 
But God said to Haggai to tell his people in the midst of discouraging and bleak circumstances, I'm with you. My spirit is within your midst. Fear not. And we can name hard things for the hard things that they are. We can be honest about things that feel bleak and discouraging. And we can also know in the midst of it, God hasn't abandoned us. He's with us in the midst of those things. And so then we see in verses 6 through 9, he gives this word to Haggai. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I'll shake all nations so the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So this is a little bit of history for you here. From the time that Haggai speaks this until the time of Jesus' birth was a few hundred years of massive empire upheaval. It's the end of the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire ends up being undone by a lesser Greek Empire. The Greek Empire upends the Persian Empire, and then later on the Roman Empire upends the Greek Empire. And so by the time you get to Jesus, you've had three world powers now. And everything, God has truly taken the nations and he's shaken them up. He's done exactly what he said he was going to do. And that temple that Zerubbabel is responsible for seeing built, slowly over time, it gets overhauled and remodeled so that under Herod the Great, by the time of Jesus, the temple, domed in gold, beautiful, it was actually considered like the, like the jewel of the east. Like it had once again become a beautiful temple. God did what he said he would do. Now, was that the fullness of God fulfilling this promise? No, but it is part of the fulfillment. God was telling his people, like, build this temple, and I'm going to bring wealth to this temple, and it's going to look beautiful. And then Jesus, the true fulfillment, sitting there beside that temple with his disciples that day, says, tear this temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. He's talking about himself. Because the picture of God's presence was a placeholder for the reality of God's presence, which was Jesus. And so at Advent, the glorious temple was born. God tabernacling among us. God's presence among us. So God displayed that glory and that hope of redemption and restoration when he sent Jesus to be truly Emmanuel, God with us. And so you and I live, like we live in the glorious future that God promised when we would know and we would experience God's presence in a beauty that others couldn't even fathom. Like Solomon's temple was beautiful, but you had to go there to see it, and you had to be a certain person, a certain special person to make it far enough in there to see all the beauty of the temple, to experience all of the intricacies of that picture of God's presence. But now on this side of Pentecost, we're the temple. God resides in us. Like the presence that we need, the presence that helps to bring redemption and restoration and health and healing and hope, we don't have to travel on a pilgrimage to find it, to experience it, like we have it. So when we sing something like the desire of nations, asking God to do a work, God is already doing a work. 
Like he's doing a work in us. You and I are experiencing what God promised, and that is the, the glory of the temple. Like as God does a work in you, as you experience the Spirit changing you so that you become a more beautiful temple that the Holy Spirit resides in, like everything that's changing in you, that God is redeeming in you, that God is sanctifying in you, is a fulfillment of this promise. Because you are becoming a more and more beautiful temple. The more and more He shapes you and changes you, the more He's at work in you. And so I want to encourage you. Like your best days are not behind you. Who you are this Christmas, because if you're a follower of Jesus, who you are this Christmas is a more beautiful temple than you were last year because God is always doing that work. He is always renovating and making more beautiful the residents of his presence. And you and I are being made more beautiful. Now sometimes, if you've ever watched HGTV, which I have watched a lot of, the process of making a building more beautiful sometimes is a really ugly process. Sometimes when you look at what will be ultimately a beautiful, newly remodeled home, you come in halfway through the episode, you're like, that place is a train wreck. Because you've got to tear things down to make them new. You've got to rip things out to replace them. So you may be in a remodeling year. And a little spoiler, until you die or until Jesus comes back, something's always getting remodeled. I've had family that lived in a house as they were remodeling it. That's a terrible experience. Like, oh, I have this beautiful house. I only live in a third of it. And we cook all of our food out of the, the bathroom, which is a health code violation, but that doesn't, that doesn't apply to individual families, right? I had friends that for nine months, they ate ramen that they heated on a hot plate that they filled with water next to their toilet in the sink. I was like, this is just... This can't be a great nine months, and it wasn't. But they were doing a remodel of their house, and that's what it took for their house to go from what it once was to what it became. And so I want to encourage you, whatever discouragement you may be feeling, whatever the bleakness is that you may see, this is a process of remodeling. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're always being made more beautiful because his presence resides with you. So I want to encourage you, he's going to do that this year too. And next Christmas, we're going to be more beautiful, every single one of us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for this time to talk about the work that you do, the way that you do work in us and through us and for us. We thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as you came, that you were that temple that was promised that beautiful temple, and then you've sent your spirit and you've told us now we get to be the temple because you reside in us. You are present with us. And I thank you for each of our individual stories. I thank you for the work you've been doing since last Christmas. And for those of us who are in the midst of a massive overhaul remodel and it just, our life just looks more like chaos than it did last year. I pray that you give us the encouragement to work, that you're present with us that you're in our midst, that you're in our being. And I pray for this upcoming year that you give us a sense of how good it is to be yours and to know that you are a master builder and what you're doing is always good. We celebrate you on this Christmas morning and we celebrate you day in and day out. Spirit, motivate us to be celebratory. 
as we see our God at work. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.